so proud of the Tatum family. Uh, just so good. Sarah, Jordan, all of them, grandparents celebrating. Children are a gift from the Lord. And this week, I've been reminded that grandchildren are just the dessert on top of that. Uh, thank you all for your encouragement. And I'm also reminded, and I'm going to say this for all of you who don't have children, or if it's been a while since you've had children. You know, if you're a young family with a newborn, and especially if you've got maybe a toddler in tow, and you're doing your best just to get here for worship on Sunday, and you don't even come in the door until about the third song, and your toddler has on mismatched shoes and oatmeal in their hair, we do not judge you. <clears throat> we love you. And we're glad you're here. Uh, period. Uh, it is a great thing. And, uh, and I would even go on to live and say, we'll scoot over and give you our seat, won't we, adults? Yes, we will. Uh, I tell you, just having those little ones, that is uh, more than a handful, but what a blessing. Um, and we're grateful for that. Open your outline uh, in the back of the bulletin, if you will. You can have your Bible as well, but we're going to be sharing several verses in this study, the names of Jesus. Um, really, I'm just uh, giving a lot of verses, so it may be best just to write down the references, and then if you'd like, go back and you can study those more in depth. Eric Butterworth told about a college professor who had a sociology class. He had them go into the slums of Baltimore and to get the case histories of 200 young boys. And of those young boys, each of them were to write um, like a, an assessment, like an overall assessment, a summation. And they basically had the same thing. He hasn't got a chance. Well, 25 years later, another sociology professor came across that earlier study. So he had his students to follow up with those boys to see what happened. Of the 200 students, 20 had either moved away or died, but 180 were still in the area. So of that 180, 176 had achieved success in good jobs, and some even in professional careers like attorneys and business owners and, and even doctors. So the professor was astounded with the results, wondering why was that earlier assessment so inaccurate? Where, where did they go wrong? What happened to change the futures of these young boys? So they researched further, went back to all of the young men again and said, how do you account for your success? In each case, the reply came back. Well, there was this one teacher. Well, this one teacher was still alive. And so they located her and went and interviewed her. I said, how did you help the boys overcome such enormous obstacles to become a success? And her eyes just lit up, and she smiled really big, and she said, it's really simple. I just loved those boys. A teacher. When we think of Jesus, we often think of his miracles. We think of his resurrection. We think of his death on the cross, and we should. But we also need to give attention to what he thought was so important in his ministry. Jesus was a teacher. Eighty times in the Gospels, he's recorded saying, truly, truly. You know, we don't say truly, truly. But we would say things like, pay attention, or listen up, or this is important, or I want you to get this, or write this down. 
That's what Jesus was saying. What he was saying is, I'm about to teach you something significant, and you need to get it. Because Jesus was a masterful teacher. John opened his gospel revealing some very important facts about Jesus. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. I don't want us to underestimate this critical ministry of Jesus as being a teacher. One commentary said the most popular name of Jesus among his admirers was teacher. And if you remember, they called him rabbi, even though he really wasn't an official rabbi. He didn't have the credentials. He didn't have the official training, but they called him rabbi. Look at a couple of verses that describe his teaching. Matthew 13, 54. Coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Matthew 22, verse 33. After silencing the Pharisees and their trick questions, the crowd heard it. They were astonished at his teaching. Jesus was viewed by the Jewish leaders as a threat. Earlier in chapter 7 of John's gospel, they sent the temple guards to arrest him. The guards show up, but instead of arresting him, they start listening to him teach. And then they go back to the Jewish leaders empty-handed. John 7, verse 45, the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man before. Isn't that great? No one ever spoke like this man before. Even his foes admitted he was a master teacher. But before we study why, why was he such an outstanding teacher? I want to begin with this statement. If Jesus is your teacher, you can know the truth. If Jesus is your teacher, you can know the truth. See that study about those boys, now successful men, it didn't mention the bad teachers. They'll talk about the difficult circumstances. All the voices telling them you're not going to make it. There's no hope for them. But if you are going to make it, it's knowing a trustworthy source of information. Who do you believe? Those boys believe that teacher who believed in them. The Falkland Islands War, sometimes called the Falklands War, occurred in the 1980s. Some of you might remember it. You're old like me. Argentina and Great Britain were at war over this little island just off the coast of Argentina. And it was sort of a, a moment of decision for Great Britain because are they a mighty power or not? It was theirs, but Argentina was trying to take it away. And so they sent their, their Navy fleet down there to make a statement. And among that fleet was the HMS Sheffield, a guided missile destroyer of the British Royal Navy. So the British were shocked when one missile from the Argentine fighter took it down, sunk it. How did that happen? There were even some people guessing maybe the end of modern warfare was over. But they did some investigating. This is what they discovered. The battleship correctly identified the incoming missile as an Exocet missile. And the battleship had plenty of time to engage and defend itself from the missile. But here's the problem. This type of missile was made in France. The computer 
calculated France was an ally. So that missile was no problem. And that friendly missile took the lives of hundreds of men. Now more than ever, Satan is firing a lot of friendly missiles. I thought about that, and I thought, and we carry in our purses and our pockets this device that gives him unfettered access all the time, feeding us all kinds of misinformation. With internet, social media, 24-7 news commentary, binge-watching Netflix, how are we to know what is true, what is right? One author was talking about the current mindset of our culture, and he said, the most popular religion of our day is Confucianism. Pretty accurate, isn't it? If you have no absolute truth, then it's a matter of opinion. Think how often lately have we heard the phrase, his truth, her truth, your truth, my truth. Have you heard that phrase? Not the truth. There is a rejection of the idea of absolute truth. And that kind of culture... Then you're going to have a lot of friendly missiles if there's ever an oxymoron, there's one. They're coming at us all the time. And in this kind of environment, the one called the deceiver has fertile soil. And Satan loves to sow untruth. He started in the garden and is an expert at it. I think it was Mark Twain who said, A lie can travel around the world and back again while the truth is still lacing its boots. If Satan can get, us to believe, can't believe, can get us to believe a lie and act on it, well, then he wins. But if he can get us at least to feel like, well, if we just don't do anything, he's got us. That's why Jesus spent much time on earth teaching. He said he came to destroy the devil's work. Think about that. What was the devil's work? He's a liar, has been from the beginning. He's a deceiver. Spreading the untruth. So Jesus would say in John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And think about it. Jesus didn't just say, believe this or believe that. What made Jesus such an outstanding teacher? He said, believe me. He contended that he was more than just a possessor of these eternal insights He was the very personification of the truth of God. He said, God's the standard, and Jesus was revealing that standard. John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're going to come back to that verse, but I also want to get that at the beginning. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let's think about it. What made Jesus such an outstanding teacher? I can think of at least three things about his teaching. First, he taught with illustrations. He understood that people would remember better than just hearing the words if they had something to visualize or maybe a story or some way to illustrate it. I remember being told that you could take a sermon, same points, same Bible verses, and use different illustrations and give it the very next Sunday and people wouldn't even know it's a different lesson. But if you use the same story again, people remember that. We do remember stories, don't we? And Jesus knew that. One place he found them was in current events. In Luke 13, he was teaching about repentance. I put that on the screen. 
There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that the Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then verse 4, Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So he's kind of reading off the newspaper or off the TV screen, we might say, the news feed, and he's making an application of what was going on. He used illustrations from nature. Consider the lilies of the field or the birds of the air. What amazing eternal truths we can learn about God from nature. One of the most popular things he did, if you just look through and you just read his teaching, is he would refer back to uh, uh, the Old Testament. When the Pharisees were arguing with him about plucking grain on the Sabbath, he went back to David going through the temple. Do you remember that story? That's kind of the way he said it. Or preparing his disciples for what was coming, he said, remember Lot's wife. Didn't tell him the whole story, just remember Lot's wife, and that was enough. A little throwback. Use the Old Testament to illustrate. He would use those Old Testament stories to teach eternal principles. And by the way, not really a blank to fill in, but kind of a side, I think Jesus was a master at using humor as well to kind of help him illustrate. That's one reason I love the Chosen DVD series. If you've not watched that, we're doing that on Wednesday night in a class, or you can get your own copy. I highly recommend it. Or if you saw the Matthew DVD that came out years ago, they both present Jesus as a, a very personable, and he's warm, and he's laughing, and he's smiling. And when he teaches, you can get that sense of humor. You know, if you're... Uh, bilingual or if you live in another culture you know that that sometimes humor does not translate from one language to another so when we're reading our bibles today we don't always get the humor that was there but it was there i think when jesus taught in matthew 7 about why do you look at that speck of dust in your eye and you get that plank you know this is so obviously funny that that there have been giggles as he was saying that contrast was a form of humor Exaggeration even more so, like a camel going through the eye of a needle. I have heard, and I'm sure I've said, probably from this pulpit to you, about, well, that eye of a camel, what that means is that was a gate in Jerusalem, or, or what that means is, is that was a certain type of rope. I was listening to a Bible scholar who knows so much more than, than me, and he was said, no, what it means is a camel going through the eye of a needle. It was such an exaggeration. It was so absurd that it was, it was laughable. It was funny. And Jesus taught that way. Can you imagine the smirk on the people's faces when Jesus said, when you fast, wash your face. Don't try to look religious like the Pharisees. And he called them out for, for what everybody else knew they were doing. And they had to giggle at those kinds of teaching. During my final years at Fried Hardeman, Bible majors not just study scripture, we studied communication. And one of those classes I really enjoyed was studying the master communicators through the years. It's amazing. People that just drop the names and you remember them being a world leader or maybe they, they led a cause, had some amazing speeches. One was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he often used humor in his sermons and he was criticized for that. One time it was brought to his attention, and Spurgeon just chuckled and said, Oh, but they only knew how much I was holding back. Humor can help. 
But it's not just about being funny. Humor can lower our defenses. Humor can soften our hearts to hear what we need to hear. And Jesus was a master at that. And he understood the power of pictures. You ever notice how he often taught by telling a story? Who is my neighbor? Well, let me tell you about this man walking down the road to Jericho. Or why do you hang out with sinners and tax collectors? Well, let me tell you about a father who had two sons. Jesus used stories to teach the story. The story of God so loving the world that he gave his only son. So he taught with illustrations. But number two, he also taught with quality. The way he taught, it was just acknowledged by everybody who ever had a chance to hear him, even his enemies. Obeying the teaching of Jesus would produce good fruit even if you did not believe that he was God. Even if you denied that part of what he was teaching. If you just follow what he said, you would have a good life. But Jesus was also bold enough to say, but if you ignore my wisdom for living, you're a fool. It's not going to end well. I'll put some of these verses on the screen. Let's just kind of just quickly go through these. You're familiar with these, but just... Notice with with fresh eyes how just wise and profound these teachings are. Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Who taught that before Jesus came along? But what an amazing truth that is. Love your enemies and pray for them. It works. If you've done it, you know it works. Now, it may not change them. It may not change the circumstance. But it sure does a lot to keep bitterness from creeping into your own heart. Or Matthew 6, 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Is that not true? And yet we just observe the Passover on this one. Just pass right over it. And we talk about worrying like, like it's a good thing. And Jesus would just shake his head and say, what good is it? Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Isn't that true? Seek the main thing, the main thing. That helps in every arena of life, at work, in relationships, the way you handle your money, everything. Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. That's taken straight from life, isn't it? It's true. When you have a condemning, critical spirit, you tend to meet condemning, critical people. Sometimes you're even surrounded by them. Matthew seven twelve, for whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Now, the idea is not necessarily new, but this whole point of being an initiator of goodness. See, the only problem with Jesus' teaching, if you can even say it that way, is not that they've been tried and found like weak or, or untrue or they don't work, is that they're not tried. That's the only problem with everything that he taught. Because if you will try what he taught you, you'll discover that he's right. In every arena, he's right. He makes life better if you'll just do what he says. His teachings are always relevant. Matthew 24, verse 35, he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Eternal truths. John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. 
The flesh is no help at all. These words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. See, there's a certain quality of life enjoyed by the one who follows the teachings of Jesus. Sometimes we can look back on someone's life and see how true that is. I'll give you a case in point, an illustration, the way Jesus did. Tom Landry, you've heard of him, legendary coach, not a perfect man. He never claimed to be a perfect man. But what he would say is, I'm trying to live my life by the teachings of Jesus. What a claim. I'm trying to live my life by the teachings of Jesus. When he died, Jim Reeves of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram wrote a tribute. And in that, he included these words. He was a reason to take a closer look at the Bible. What a testimony. What a statement. That was evidence that Jesus was a superior teacher. He painted pictures. He told stories. He taught with excellence. Here's a third one. He taught with authority. I hinted at this this at the beginning. I can't help but think when Jesus taught, there were moments, if not times, where people just trembled. They could tell this was no ordinary teacher. And, and, And maybe it was a combination with the way that he taught combined with the truth that he taught. When he finished the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 28, So the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for his teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Mark 1.22, he went to the synagogue. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Well, how did the teachers of the law teach? One commentary basically said, well, with borrowed authority. They would give all these different interpretations, and then they'd share the consensus of the current scholarship. And I love this quote. I think I put it on the screen. Jesus did not live within the prison of quotation marks. I wish I knew who said that. But isn't that good? Jesus did not live within the prison of quotation marks. He didn't have to quote anybody. He could speak the truth. He was truth. He taught with authority because he was the authority. He spoke in such a way that his audience knew that nothing else and no one else mattered. In fact, 20 times he was bold enough to say, you've heard that it said, but I say to you. That's a bold statement. You've heard that it said, you grew up hearing this. And he said, well, push that away and listen to me. But I say unto you. It's no wonder then that people began to consider him a prophet And Jesus didn't seem to mind being called that. In fact, in Mark 6, 4, he said a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, in his own home. Speaking of himself, going to Nazareth. So it's not bad to think of Jesus as a prophet, but it's not the only way to think of him. It's good to think of him as a teacher, but not the only way to think of him. In John 9, we read about a man born blind. You remember that story? Jesus takes mud and puts it on his eyes, tells him to go and wash. You think everybody would be really excited about that, but the religious weren't because the religious leaders weren't because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, the man went and washed on the Sabbath, and all that just did not fit with their interpretation. So they go after Jesus. Look at John 9, 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was religious division among them. So they said again to the blind man, Why do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? 
He said he's a prophet. Why would he say prophet? Why would the man who now can see not say he's a healer? Why would he he not say he's a miracle worker? Why would he not say he's the son of God? He said he's a prophet. Why would he answer that? Well, they didn't even like that answer. So if you remember, they continued the investigation. And the man just kept stumping them. He didn't give them the answers they were looking for. So what do they do? They kick him out of the synagogue. But Jesus wouldn't let that go. Look at John 9, 35. Jesus heard they'd cast him out. Having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? That's one of the names we're going to talk about. If you don't know what that means, Son of Man versus Son of David versus Son of God, it's good to know. We're going to get there. But he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He went from calling Jesus a prophet to now he's worshiping him. The point I want to make, for some, the path to understanding Jesus as Lord begins with understanding and discovering and accepting Jesus as a teacher, as the one who brought the truth. An honest study of Jesus' teachings will lead you to the conclusion that he's right. That Jesus is the truth. One other thing I want to show before we close. Matthew 23, verse 10. This is the New King James Version. Maybe you, you, maybe you grew up hearing this. So this is one of those I want us to kind of correct in our thinking. From the New King James Version, Matthew 23, 10. Jesus said, do not be called teachers. Remember reading this? For one is your teacher, the Christ. Why would he say that? Because we all need teachers. Well, this is one of those where the New King James didn't get the translation exactly right. I think the NIV says instructor. The Old King James says master. The New American Standard says leader. But I would encourage you to, outside your Bible, if you'd like to take notes, write the word God. That's the word that's used there. It's not used anywhere else where the the New Testament translates teacher. And his point, he's saying, do not be called gods, there is one God, and that's the Christ. That's the point he's making there. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. There's one head. There's one God. That's the point he's making. Look at the screen. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's who he is. That's the way he identified himself. If you ever wonder, like, you know, where's the church headed? We've asked a lot of questions about post-pandemic, what it's going to look like, you know. Where's the church headed? What's the future of the church? And I thought about that. As far as programming and scheduling and, and some of those methodology, I don't have the answer. But the answer I keep coming back to is this. Jesus is our God. And he's our only God. And I've been called to teach and to preach Jesus. And as long as I do that, we're in good hands. So we say to a world that's confused about absolute truth, we have a God. Jesus of Nazareth is the way. Jesus is the truth. And when you accept that, then you begin to experience that he is your life. 
Well, let me close with some very practical application. If Jesus is our teacher, if he's the way, the truth, and the life, then we need to listen to him. Maybe that's obvious, but even dedicated followers of Jesus will hear all kinds of other voices. Uh, Maybe it's the teachings of other men. Maybe it's the teaching of tradition. Maybe it's the teaching of parents. and, And we respect all of those. And some of those teachings may even be pointing us to Jesus. But they are not the standard. I think we've all struggled with this. And there's an example in Scripture that we might just read over and not really catch. It's That moment at the Mount of Transfiguration, remember that? Where Peter, James, and John are there with Jesus, and Moses and Elijah appear. And Peter has that moment where he's got to say something. Do you remember what he says? Do you remember how he kind of feels that, that, that quiet? Let's build three tents, or three tabernacles. One for a Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And, and you can just see Peter and John going, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea, that's a good idea. But it wasn't a good idea. Do you know why it wasn't a good idea? Let me ask it this way. What's wrong with everyone getting a trophy? What's wrong with everyone getting a trophy? Because there's only one number one. Peter, in his moment thinking, everybody gets a tent. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, they're all good teachers. God says, no. This is one of the very few times where you hear the audible voice of God when Jesus is on earth. And he speaks. Do you remember what he says? Put it on the screen. And a cloud, Mark 9, 7, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Or maybe listen to him. Not Moses, not Elijah. Good men did their part. But this is Jesus we're talking about here. And so we listen to Him through Scripture. We dig into the Word. We let His words wash over us. We listen to Him even through other believers. They can help us to understand. They can correct and rebuke us. They can encourage us to walk in the Lord. We listen through His Holy Spirit. Look at John 16, 3. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. If you ever wonder why we as a church just keep emphasizing Bible study, this is why. Because this is who Jesus is. We need to heed the words of Paul. Look at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. If Jesus is the way, truth, and the life then we need to practice what he preaches. We need to obey. Jesus is not just about teaching information. Jesus' teaching is about transformation. Remember the mission he gave, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. You teach for a purpose. You teach for obedience, not just hear, not just understand, not just believe, 
but obey. That teaching is to be practiced, applied, and lived. And Satan will do everything he can to keep you from hearing the teaching. But if that fails, he's going to do everything he can to convince you that hearing is enough. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. We love that teaching of Jesus. It's almost every verse is enough to stop and just, just meditate and think about. But he, he puts it all together in that teaching. And do you remember how he ends? This life-changing revelation of who he is, what life is like in the kingdom. And do you remember how he ends it? Matthew seven twenty four. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. And then he tells a story. A story that even our youngest children know. will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and, it was, and great was the fall of it. Knowledge does not make a person wise. If so, all you have to do is just reach in your pocket and pull out your phone. Just ask your question. All kind of knowledge obedience in God's eyes is what makes you wise. When you listen to Him and you obey Him. Jesus is a masterful teacher. And He came so that you could have eternal life. And it was, what He wants to know is what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the truth? You know. You know. When will you obey? For you, it may be taking the next step in your salvation and confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Let Him make you a new creation in baptism. Wash your sins away to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe for you, obedience is saying yes to God and no to that sin. Whatever that sin is. If we can pray for you or help you in any way and you're saying yes to the Lord, would you come as we stand and sing to encourage? Oh, Lord.